This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. Hope you had a nice Christmas. Have plans for the new year in a few days. It's going to be 2023 very soon. Or if you're listening in 2023. Uh, Well, let's not mess with the time-space continuum today. So today's guest is Chris. Um, She asks not to use her last name. And now Chris is a trans woman who went to APU. And I referred to her in the Abby and Liz episodes. But since we recorded those at the beginning of the year, I didn't know at the time that Chris, who still uses her given name, had transitioned. So I apologize if I misgendered her in those conversations. I can't remember if I used any pronouns. Chris grew up in a prominent evangelical family before coming to APU. And her time there was rough. I remember seeing her around campus and at Haven events. And she was always deep in thought. There was a sadness to her demeanor that always struck me. And then when I heard stories of her family and how she was outed uh, when she was at APU, by APU, I, uh, I didn't have, I had no words. Um, it was heartbreaking. But one thing Chris seemed to be able to do was push back against those forces that would keep her down. Whether leading Haven in bringing APU to justice for its anti-LGBTQIA policies or just telling her story at events, Chris learned to be a fighter. And now she fights for LGBTQIA youth as a senior training and education manager with the Trevor Project. She's married and has a family and she's kicking ass today. But she came onto chapel probation to directly confront the experiences and memories that she has worked really hard to overcome as they have contributed to who she is now. Uh, So my name is Chris. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a former student at Azusa Pacific University. Um, And I was also one of the co-presidents of uh, the Haven. At least that's what it was called. (laughs) I think it may have had many iterations over the years, but um, I was co-president for one year. And and that was previous to when it got uh, legitimized by the school, right? That was when it was still kind of underground. Oh, yes. This was yeah. like underground secret apartments. Abby Sorelli was leaving the school and it needed to go on and live in some capacity. So Abby met with me and Doug and was like, hey, uh, <laughs> would you be interested in taking this over? I don't want it to die. And you have apartments off campus. And... 
So one thing sort of led to another, and we took it over for that one year. And it was very much underground, word of mouth, no formal, um, no like formal APUs buy-in. Yeah. I, I, I like to think of those as the golden years <laughs> before. Because <laughs> um, you had total autonomy, you know, you didn't have to worry about, I mean, you had to worry, but the, the school didn't have any input into what y'all wanted to do so right i mean we could speak our truth we could create safe spaces for people who were traumatized uh by the school itself and i think the moment you become a legitimized uh organization within the school there's this expectation that you protect the school and you protect their beliefs or you protect their yeah. systems and we yeah. we never wanted it to be that we didn't think it would be possible so seeing where it went is interesting, but also not not really where we were at at the time. Right. Um, so let's go back when when you first came to APU. Oh, well, how, what were you like? <laughs> so hmm. I went to um, a high school in Pasadena that was a private Christian high school. Um, I grew up in Southern California, and. Uh, I was educated in private Christian schools from third grade on. So all of my like experiences heading into college were through the lens of a repressed <laughs> trans queer child who never ever saw a world where she could be anything that she was going to become. And so APU honestly felt like the right option for me like it, it, going into it it felt like i'm honestly the only option i had a full ride to liberty um and like whew, oh. i'm so glad that i didn't do that um yeah and so apu felt better than liberty i knew that liberty was way more conservative and more dangerous for people like me so yeah. apu felt like well at least i'm near la <laughs> and <laughs> at least i can you know, be near my community if the if the campus doesn't work out well. And also, I came into the to college as like an undecided, didn't really know what major I was going to be, but was leaning towards theater. Um, and if you want to find Christian schools, Christian universities with theater programs, there's not really a high quality program out there. Um, and APU felt like maybe it would be better because it was closer to Hollywood and closer to the industry. So that's how I landed at APU and who I was. I was closeted, terrified, totally thought I would be like a cisgender straight man um, or die trying. Yeah, yeah. So you came in trying to to fit into the mold of uh, cisgender white Christian identity. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, that was my goal. That's what would have pleased my family. I come from a very conservative family. You know, my dad was a pastor. Um, my family were sort of like mega Christian evangelical movement sort of family. And I knew that I would be disappointing anybody by claiming my truth. And so I thought, you know, this is something I can stifle. Also, I do have a history of conversion therapy um and so before you know. came to APU yeah from from a super young age um oh. 
And so I think like I, I knew these things were within me. I knew they were part of my identity, but I really, really thought <laughs> based on the lies that I had been told by, you know, conservative, <laughs> uh, not even probably licensed therapists, um, I believed that I could could overcome my identities and be the person that I thought God wanted me to be. <laughs> oh. So how long did that last? <laughs> oh, that la- well, okay, well, first of all, I was in Smith Hall, which is literally yeah. like the grossest. It is like yeah. the <laughs> epicenter of the eighth ring of hell. And... Uh, I don't know, like, on the very first day, I, like, I had a roommate that was just, like, very consistently nude, and the hall, like, I don't know if people have described the, I mean, I'm sure on this podcast it's come up, but if it hasn't, I will, I will share with the listeners that, so, there's this weird, almost, like, counterintuitive, unless you grew up in Christian spaces, um, for like sort of homoerotic male energy. And so Smith Hall being an all guys dorm was 100% that vibe, right? Lots of naked people, lots of like touching each other, sleeping, you know, in the same bed and, you know, but but not being quote unquote sexual. And so that was really hard for me (laughs) because it was putting me into a space where queerness wasn't going to be outwardly accepted or embraced, but where people were were performing queerness and in a very like uncomfortable way. And so I pretty quickly learned like, these aren't my people, this isn't my community. I need to, I need to not make friends here. And so I started pouring myself into the theater um, and the theater department is like, a lot of freshman theater majors at APU in my time were a lot of closeted, scared people like me. And so I sort of just started finding my people and being like, wait, (laughs) what's going on? And I don't know. I want to say it was summer after my freshman year that I came out. So I I at least deconstructed... (laughs) the sort of self-loathing that prevented me from embracing my, at the time, gay male identity within about a year. Obviously, okay. I didn't fully deconstruct because that takes a lifetime, I feel. But yeah, within a year, I was starting to tell people who I was or how I identified, which at the time was as gay. That felt achievable. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed to me that there were a lot of queer kids in smith hall um now my previous guest who uh came out i think after he graduated but he he just thought they were these were straight men sort of trying to to be like alpha men who were just asserting their straightness by proving that they weren't turned on by male nudity and you know waving their dicks around um and 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 cuddling and uh spooning each other um and that's and that that's probably there's probably a lot of that too there is i that. don't know it's just yeah. it just it did seem like there was a lot of kids who who 
were <laughs> not actively exploring, but maybe subconsciously exploring their their sexuality. I don't know what what was your thoughts. I know you don't. We and then I swear we won't talk about Smith Hall after this. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think there is that. I also think that if society reframed the way we think about human sexuality in general, and by the way, this is the 35-year-old version of myself uh, re-examining this, you know, with hindsight, but yeah, I think that in general, um, most people <laughs> um, are, are not aware of what parts of them are sort of socially constructed. <laughs> And what parts of them are more innate, right? And so when you think about sexuality, I think it's really complex. And I don't think that, I don't think that you would be able to easily prove nature or nurture um, in, in through the lens of sexuality. I think that it is a very complicated marriage of those concepts. And so I think if they didn't think about sexuality as being so black and white and being so straight or gay, then probably a lot of them would be like, yeah, I do find this particular thing exciting or something that I would want to experiment with. And I think some of them did, right? I knew people in Smith Hall who are now <laughs> out yeah. and living their lives. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't find out till years later, but sure, it's complicated. I do think I was sort of amazed at how quickly the wrong people got like a whiff <laughs> of oh you're probably gay um and listen i am a trans woman i have always been extremely effeminate and so i'm not saying that that it's not surprising that people didn't play into stereotypes and say like oh yeah this is probably a gay person but i was on radar from like day one and I feel like I was hearing about anti-gay groups on campus within my first semester you know like bible studies for men who are attracted to men to come together and you know work through our problems with each other and I don't know I mean I also sought out people where I was like wait that person might be gay they might be like me I should build a relationship with them because maybe they'll be able to help me fight this evil thing that that has lived in my brain since I was a child so I don't know I feel like Smith Hall but also just the general zeitgeist of the campus is sort of skewed towards like homophobia and sniffing out queerness in such a way that uh, we can be like either ostracized and marginalized or saved, but not just allowed to exist. Yeah. Yeah. And that was why I was, I was against Haven um, coming out to the school. And so there was a rift with me and a lot of the people in Haven um, for Mm -hmm. that reason and it wasn't because I didn't think you all should be proud of who you are and, and accepted. I just didn't think the school ever would. Um, right. Um, and they didn't. <laughs> no. they. Um, I mean, and, in fact, you know what's so funny is there is this notion amongst conservative Christians, the few that I still occasionally know, <laughs> who are like, 
APU is the liberal, like, yeah. you, you know, they, they are totally lost their way. They're, they're creating queer and trans people. And like, it's just baffling because if you were a queer or a trans person in any way on that campus, the amount of unseen <laughs> that you felt. And so this concept that the administration is one day going to be safe or could one day be safe for us, I think is such a misnomer. And, you know, I can only speak for my time, but there wasn't a desire uh, to be endorsed by people who hated us. <laughs> like, yeah. it just felt wrong to ever want their buy-in. Yeah. I mean, I understood the students who wanted to because, you know, they're 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 still very Christian and they and they want to be a part of this community, you know, and an integral part of that community. So it, yeah. it had to have been just a really hard impossible situation for them to be in. Um Well, and I I kind of imagine that our version of Haven <laughs> Yeah. was probably isolating for people who were not at odds with their faith in some way. Like, that there were yeah. some people who were like, Ugh, this feels weird because we're going to an off-campus apartment um, or on-campus and just being super shady. But, like, we're going to an off-campus apartment. We are, you know, people are drinking sometimes or people are hanging out and doing things that didn't feel like they were safe uh, mm. APU approved activities. Right. And automatically there are going to be people who are like, oh yeah, this isn't for me. But again, I wouldn't feel very safe. I don't think <laughs> in the opposite of that, right. In a space that yeah. was trying to conform. And so, yeah, I think we'll always learn that you can't make, <laughs> especially for marginalized folks, you can't have a one size fits all approach to addressing yeah. marginalization. Right. And that was what made Haven so hard to to plan for and to to organize because there's so many roles it needed to play as the one spot for for queer students. Yeah. Um and it, it was just an impossible thing to be everything to everyone um that they needed. There were so many needs and so little resources. So yeah. Right. It was it was tough. You know, it's funny because I came to APU the year that students outside, I don't, I think if they had just changed the name from 9-11 to whatever they changed it to, Kaleo or oh, right. whatever the Wednesday night chapel. Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there were a bunch of students who duct taped their mouth and... Right stood outside of chapel and I think their mouth said something like silenced or, you know, yeah. don't silence me. Or the message was mm -hmm. like, as a queer person, I'm being silenced by this campus. Right. And yeah. <laughs> the way that my heart rate went from like a cool 60 to 140, <laughs> just seeing these folks speak up, about the ways that they were feeling oppressed, the way that I walked around that pathway like five or six times just to like 
keep clocking these people who were standing up against their oppression. And the way that I vowed to myself to never be like them, <laughs> because that happened oh. early on, right? Like that was early on. And I felt the terror in my heart. And I was like, you, you will never, you will never be like these folks. And so when I look at my overall journey, I'm like, dang, like you did something. And I think, I mean, I told you when we were messaging about the podcast, like, I feel like I don't, I've worked so hard to try to forget about this trauma and to try to work through this trauma of APU because make no mistake, APU was one of the most traumatic periods of my life. Um, and most horrible things <laughs> stemmed in, in one way or another from uh, certain individuals who were at APU. But um, <laughs> I also have this really interesting acknowledgement that my closest relationships, my chosen family, the people who are most important in my life are all people that I met at APU. <laughs> to this day, my closest yeah. friendships are people I met at APU. And I'm not over here. I mean, I could have gone to any college and made close friends. So I'm not saying that I wouldn't have made lifelong friends elsewhere. But I am acknowledging that for whatever reason, this was my path. And I had to go through the bullshit trauma. But I also have a bunch of other friends who went through the same bullshit trauma. And now we're like family to each other. And yeah. there's this weird, there's this weird sense of like, <laughs> People want stories that just always feel like they're going up, 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 up. But my experience of APU was ups and downs and ups and downs and backwards and forwards the whole time. From day one, all the way till the day I left. <laughs> now, living after Christianity can be amazing. Um, it is for a lot of us. But for a lot of people, those formative and developmental years of indoctrination are always there, just beneath the surface. I see Chris as a strong, confident person, and she absolutely is. But like all of us, her life, her experiences are often in contrast with the upbringing. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is we can enjoy vibrant, full lives that we recognize are vibrant and full because we remember life inside Christianity, which was not. Well, it was full in different ways, but not that vibrant. So these are the good days. The bad days are when those old feelings of shame and fear get triggered as we remember the child we once were, afraid of damnation and separation from loved ones. Well, here's to the good days. Then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season and she endures perhaps being smacked one night and then she seeks help from the church. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus <laughs> and by God's grace it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. There's nothing holy 
about writing discrimination into the law. And I am tired of communities of faith being weaponized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. Hi, I'm Nate, producer and co-host on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Let's talk about inequality. It's everywhere. Whether it's rooted in race, gender, ability, or sexuality, there's bound to be an imbalance in power, influence, representation, and access. On our show, we want to explore areas of religion, culture, and society where justice is needed in order to bring about true mutuality. I hope you'll join us for some enlightening, fun, and at times uncomfortable conversations as we envision a world where everyone can live free from systems and structures that keep us from being truly equal. You can find us on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, fullmutuality.com, to find a list of all the platforms we're available on. Subscribe today and we'll see you on the Full Mutuality Podcast. Can I ask how you identify now, spiritually? Atheist. I, I yeah. went through like a period of like agnosticism. Mm -hmm. And on, on one level, I would say... I do feel like there are unknowable things. So I waffle every so often, maybe, you know, once in a blue moon <laughs> towards agnosticism. But usually when I look within and why I'm feeling that way on that given day, it's usually linked to fear or shame, <laughs> yeah. like fear or shame of something that I happen to do that day, it, whether it's kissing my husband or, you know, putting on makeup or giving myself estrogen <laughs> there are these days where i think that the fear and trauma of my childhood caused me to be anxious about those things even today and so the on those days i might be like well i guess i don't know for sure but typically i'm hardcore on the atheist train right have has do you have relationship with your family, your parents, grandparents? Yeah, I don't have living grandparents. Um, but, and my father passed. Um, oh, but yeah. I do have a pretty close relationship with my mom. I have a sibling. Um, and what's interesting is like, there were really tough years. <laughs> Um, and I don't, I wouldn't say that I, that, you know, my family and I see eye to eye, but I would say that knowing what indoctrination did to me <laughs> gives me a lot of empathy towards people who are still indoctrinated. And I don't say this to be condescending. I just say this yeah. to, to acknowledge that some well-intentioned people do very hateful things <laughs> and there are sometimes spaces to forgive those hateful things and i've come to a place of forgiveness for sure in my life wow yeah that's that's amazing because yeah i i look at what you went through and i let and i know some of the stories from apu and maybe if you wanted to share some of them but i know what so many students went through and it was it was awful it was it was heartbreaking it was enraging um 
and it doesn't and to me it didn't matter that it came from a place of you know christian love that the result was always was harm and um yeah and shame and and so yeah i'm so sorry that 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 was it yeah I, i am glad you have friends that you you came out of it with so that is yeah yeah the the interesting thing is like i i'm not one of those people that think blood is 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 particularly important <laughs> um mm. so the concept of biological family is a bit lost on me um i think that chosen family um chosen family is what matters and i had to come to a point in my life where I made the conscious decision to choose my family again, <laughs> because there were yeah. years of feeling estranged um, or being estranged. But there were years when I said, I'm going to choose you again <laughs> mm. with boundaries that are safe for me. And honestly, you know, I'm at the top of my field. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm married to a lawyer and I travel the country educating folks um about mental health about supporting lgbtq youth um and i am a foster parent um and we're in the process of adopting um we are really creating um the life that i think we wish <laughs> we had or the life that we needed when we were younger for our own community so in so many ways there's a, a like a happy, I, I mean, I hope I'm not at, at an ending, <laughs> but there's like a happy, no. a happy new chapter. Um, yeah. And I don't, I'm not one of those people who's like, well, my trauma made me who I am. Like, fuck that. I don't think we need to be going around traumatizing each other just so that we like have thicker skin when we get older. But yeah. But. My trauma is a part of me. <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. And it's made me better at what I do because I can yeah. empathize in ways that I might not have been able to. So there's a double-edged sword there, I guess. But I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I, I, I think I'd be better off without the trauma. For sure. And to your credit, I, I know a lot of people go through trauma and and end up just sort of repeating the 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 trauma upon others. Um, so you you still have to make this choice, right? That I'm going to use these experiences to make um, the world better, to make other people suffer less. So, you know, I think that's still your choice, and that's admirable on uh, on your part. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, I agree. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, let's not forget that I was socialized socialized as a cis white man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so my sense of self was through the most privileged lens. Um, mm. And my sense of the world, what I was taught about the world, was through the lens of white <laughs> supremacy, uh, evangelical, white nationalism through the lens of, um, you know, superiority and that superiority being a gift from God, right? And so yeah, yeah. I think my queerness and my transness 
uh, humbled me <laughs> and opened the door to empathy in my life. I think about who I was when I was 20, who I was when I was 25, who I was when I was 30, who I am today. And oh my gosh, I am just so grateful that we are all given the chance to just always grow and get better and not yeah. not be stuck in who we were. Because I don't really love who I was when I was 20. And I don't have a lot of patience or grace for that person. Um, which may be why I try so hard to forget about APU. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I knew you when you were 20. Yeah, and I mean, I had friends, <laughs> but what I know was happening in my mind is right. not who I wanted to be and who I yeah. am today. Yeah, and I always made sure to to see you all as that, is people in process. People, you know, college years are highly developmental. You know, each year is like a... It's like a huge increment in, in development, or it should be. And so it was a privilege to be able to see so many of you at that age because you all were fighting. You know, you all were fighting not just to, you know, go to school, but you were you were fighting against a culture that was harming people. And, you know, that I took great inspiration from, from watching you all. Yeah. I mean, thanks for saying that. And, like, also... I think about that today for all the young people in my life <laughs> where I'm yeah. like, uh, this is so cliche. I can't even believe this phrase jumped into my head, but yeah, the, concept of, go, yeah. the concept of like life being a journey and not yeah. just this destination towards death, right. <laughs> or destination towards heaven. I think yeah. my, my husband and I have like a song that we have committed to each other that's called Grow As We Go. And it literally is just talking about the concept of like, we just commit to being with each other, growing <laughs> and knowing that we are not yeah. who we will be forever and that that will change. I mean, that's what got us through me beginning the process of transitioning. That's what got us through me... Uh, and my, my husband choosing to expand our home and create space, safe space for foster youth. I think hmm. we have a concept of always being a work in progress. Um, but you're right. When that full frontal cortex is just like jello, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how much we expect of college kids. Yeah. But yeah, but y'all did great. You dealt, you'll. So, do you remember we were in a meeting with a professor? It was you and Liz. I think it was you. It was it was that forensics um, professor who was interested in like supporting Haven or something, and so we were sort of vetting her. I and... do remember this vaguely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember it was shortly after. You had just experienced some pretty horrible trauma. I don't. I don't know if you want to tell that story, but um, you had sort of been outed by the school. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I had. I want to say a member of the board <laughs> yeah. reach out to my family 
um, yeah. and not my parents, but my grandparents, uh, and tell them <laughs> your grandson's gay and <laughs> you need to do something. And um, <laughs> I remember getting a phone call. <laughs> um, I honestly think I was at the Hollywood Bowl <laughs> watching some concert. Um, yeah. It might have been, I don't even know who it was, maybe John Williams or something. And mm. um, <laughs> I got this phone call and I remember being in the like, you know, walking to the outside part of the bowl and being like, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. And uh, my <laughs> my grandmother was like, beside herself and when I started piecing together what had happened that I had been outed by a board member of the school that I went to I think like I think I like shut down I think like literally I I couldn't process that <laughs> um because who is so threatened <laughs> that they take it upon themselves to find from a friend of a friend of a friend your grandparents' contact information and calls to out you. Um, and you know what had recently happened? We had tried to get, oh my gosh, this is so, this isn't a, a jaunt down memory lane, but we had tried to get Trevor, um, we had tried to get APU's accreditation removed right. because they were getting funding from WASC and like we thought how can you get government funding? How can you get these grants and loans but still be discriminatory when at the time the federal government was saying that these are protected classes? Yeah. And yeah, Title IX, yeah. Yeah. And so the board found out that I was gay at the time because I was leading that with some other students. And we were like going into all these meetings and, you know, like, going to Terry Franson's office and going to John Wallace's office and like always, always being like, hey, you should lose your accreditation and we will we will fight to make sure you do um, until you rewrite the handbook and get rid of these hateful policies, which in hindsight, that strategy came back around, right? Wasn't there some sort of house bill in California that sought to remove folks' abilities to get government funding like biola and apu were up yeah. in arms and fighting it yeah they removed some some of the religious exemptions uh yeah but anyway we had yeah th we're, we're yeah, talking like 2010 or something right when we tried yeah. that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but just to your point about you feeling like numb or, or like that has to be an amazingly horrible feeling that the board of trustees of your school is going to go to that length, you know, whether it's retribution or whether it's whatever, you know, that to just target a student and make that student's life unsafe, you know, make it, it was the ramifications, you know, were, were terrible, I'm sure. And, and could have been worse. You know, we have heard of students, you know, who were disowned by their families or, or, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Not, no longer financially supported by their families um, because of things like this. And so, yeah, the, the board was, that board member was messing with your life, with 
with your with your whole family. Um, yeah, and doing it because this is you know my thirty five year old self, but doing it because queerness, <laughs> um, transness, and queerness in general are threats to patriarchal society. <laughs> They are threats to white male patriarchal society. And the board at APU was made up of so many white men who saw the movement of queer folks as a threat to their own power, their own space at APU. And at the time, I think I was missing out. Like, I, my brain couldn't understand why it was happening. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, this was happening because these institutions like APU, like Biola, like uh, Liberty, these institutions have a goal of preserving these systems. They have a goal of ensuring that we maintain the status quo. And so when yeah. folks disrupt that, it's dangerous. So of course, they're going to do whatever they can to destabilize you. And in my case, it was, you know, tattle on me to my family, but they didn't know what types of relationships that I had or how they were destroying or destabilizing my life, you know? Yeah. What it might mean for someone as young as me to not feel safe to go into family spaces anymore. What a what a ridiculous thing to do. But they did it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure a lot of people wonder about my intentions or motivations for getting so many amazing people to talk about their stories of being harmed or oppressed in evangelical spaces. So people will think what they want, but I hope it's clear that I think these stories can change the world. Maybe not the whole world, but certainly the part of the world that intersects the lives of Christians and ex-Christians. The hopeful part of me, which seems to be growing smaller each day, um, hopes that schools like APU will hear this, this podcast, these stories, and wonder how they can do better. Hmm. I make this podcast happen in the hopes that evangelicals will hear the real pain and harm done to marginalized people. And let's not forget that everyone in evangelical culture is greatly harmed by purity culture and the prosperity gospel. So that's maybe like 10% of why I'm doing this. It's there. The rest is simply to put these stories out into the world. So someone who is hurting or blocking out the hurtful memories from their time at an at an evangelical school can hear them and know they are not alone. So I have a few Patreon supporters and I love them. Thank you all. And they help pay part of the monthly costs of hosting this podcast and promoting it and doing all the things. But I basically pay to do this each month. But getting back to Chris here, it's simply an honor to hear her story and bear witness to it. 
and be part of telling it. She will be processing her time at APU for the rest of her life. You know, may we all process our pasts, good and bad, so we can appreciate the present and continue to grow ourselves into the people we want to be. I just had to mention my youngest son came in as I was listening to listening back to the interview with Chris and he remarked at how great Chris's observations were and how cool the end of this conversation is. Ooh, how's that for a teaser? And so going back to the meeting we're in, I remember you told that story to this professor and she didn't believe you. <laughs> right. Literally, full stop was like, that wouldn't happen. That's not even yeah, legal. Yeah, that's exactly what she said. She's like, that could, I can't, that could never happen. And that's when I was like, we need to leave this. this we are not in a safe, whoever, whatever this woman told you about, you know, wanting to support, like, I thought she was like a mole for the school or something. I thought, oh shit, we are in deep shit now because she was not, and you had, a, you told another story too. And I can't remember what it was, but like you told two stories and she didn't believe either one of them. Yeah. And just straight out just said, that can't be true, you know, and these things don't happen here. Yeah. At our yeah. at our core, we're a loving community. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is so... like, what? I think the other story I told was about my whiteboard when I lived on campus. My whiteboard would constantly be defaced with like fag or faggot. Mm. Um and uh at one point someone drew like a like a stick figure with a noose and oh, i remember taking the pictures to Jackson. we're talking about like flip phone pictures by the yeah. way because this is like the yeah. earliest days of the iphone and i couldn't afford one but i remember taking the pictures of this whiteboard to and it ended up being Willie Hamlet because was like, well, we'll look into it. But Willie Hamlet mm -hmm. stopped me on the way out and was like, show me those pictures. And then he was pissed. I'm not trying to say that he was perfect either. I'm just saying yeah, he yeah. at least had the right level of anger, <laughs> like to be yeah. like, this can't be happening. Yeah. I want to say yeah. and even almost made it seem like I might have drawn on my own whiteboard <laughs> those <laughs> phrases. And I was just like, what? Like, what? What? <laughs> I think yeah. like my brain can't even. It is, it is one thing to be like called a liar, but to be called a liar by perpetrating your own oppression is just about the most evangelical thing I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it, I think that was maybe the moment I deconstructed. <laughs> like, I think that was the moment where I was Just like, bam, this is a sham. Like, this is a sham. And, yeah. and it wasn't too long after that <laughs> incident, right? I was telling this professor about it like a year or two after it had happened. But it wasn't yeah. too long after that incident that I met Abby. And Abby had me over uh to their house and while i was there i get a call from my roommate saying our house was broken into our laptops were all stolen and then the like 
the thing with Willie where I was like, they wrote on my door and they did this thing. And then I was like, and my laptop was stolen. Um, <laughs> and Woody was like, oh, well, we have a fund. We can get you a new laptop. And APU bought me a new laptop, a MacBook. Hey. Um, which, like, what? I mean, Willie's the one who made that happen. I'm sure Jensen would have been like, you deserve it. But yeah. <laughs> but I'm just sort of like, th- those weird... Talk about, like, an abusive relationship. <laughs> where it's like, yeah. you created the culture where this hate thrives. Right. And then when bad things happen to us, you say, well, here's a bone. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. just that sort of thing is is really my my memory, and then being called a liar, right? Right. And I don't know, I don't want to tell anyone else's story. So I know of a professor who came out um, with a certain identity, and then APU fired that person. And so yeah. I wrote a letter to the board about that. <laughs> I simply said, like, I want to give my uh, degree back to you. I have no use for this degree <laughs> because I work in queer organizations and I can't in good faith claim um, I can't in good faith claim anything <laughs> about my yeah. time at APU if you're going around and firing people who hold these identities. Um, so I don't know. I think like I did my best to sort of move within the movement but there was a moment when after i was out of apu that i just decided like i don't actually ever have to step foot on that campus again i don't actually ever even need to drive past (laughs) alasta anymore if i don't want to um and that felt weird (laughs) right because it was such an important part of my life but I think there was a moment where I knew bad things were happening and I chose to stop investing in trying to fix those problems. Yeah. Which feels you, sort you of, just... I think I've never really said that out loud. <laughs> hey, like, I'm, yeah. like, listen, I, in my professional life, I am literally just 100% full-time an advocate for queer folks. So yeah. it's not that I feel bad. But I think I do carry some guilt. I feel the guilt in my chest right now about just never looking back. Like, there was a moment where I just decided (laughs) I am not going to be a part of that community. I'm not going to claim that legacy. I'm not even going to have it on my resume because I hate it. I hate that part of my history. I don't know. You know, there's... There's some level of apathy that I have connected to APU these days. You know, like someone was recently like, they're going under, like yeah. they're they're like in so much debt and they're cl- they're firing professors left and right and their enrollment is way down. And like yeah. I couldn't even muster <laughs> a response of like, oh, you know, that's sad or what I was literally just like, so do you wanna like Want to go get coffee? Like I, like I, I. What's for dinner tonight? Yeah. yeah, like I. It's so hard for me to feel, and also all the people. I mean, I hate to say this because I, I'm. I guess I don't know that this is for sure true, but I feel like 
everybody that I loved <laughs> is gone and not at APU anymore. Right? Yeah, a like lot of, a lot of people. That's probably not completely true. There are some people in the theater department who I love mm. who are still there. Okay. But so many people that I love are not going to be impacted one way or another. <laughs> yeah. If ABU closes and if ABU wants to continue to participate in the oppression and the hate of entire groups of people, then they don't really deserve to exist. Yeah. Hell yeah. I feel like where you're at is where other alumni should aspire to get to. <laughs> um, like Ella Baker was talking about in her episode how every time she hears bad news about the school, she's just like, yay. <laughs> but maybe the healthier place to be is to just be like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. That's hope nobody that's like dies. <laughs> I hope, yeah. I hope that people don't like, you know, yeah. Lose their lives. But, yeah. but beyond that, I think the school participates actively in oppression so how can i feel any feeling of positivity towards it now right yeah also i I'm, i haven't listened to every episode but i'm sure there are people who hold the viewpoint of <laughs> um i stay within <laughs> the church or within spaces like apu because without me, those spaces are even more narrow-minded and even more hateful or even more oppressive. And living and, and existing in communities that are just not hateful or oppressive, <laughs> I can tell you that, like, that line of thinking um, actively deteriorated my mental health for the yeah. few years that I had that, that line of thinking. And... If there is literally anyone who feels like they are better <laughs> for existing in those oppressive spaces, <laughs> then I would I would encourage them to just try for a while existing like what like promise yourself for a month that you won't go into spaces that hate you. <laughs> um, and then tell me if you really <laughs> feel like that is where you should be. And yeah. if it is, then great. I, I'm not going to judge you. I also think, you know, Christianity is not monolithic. Some sure. really amazing people are Christians. Yeah. So I'm not here to say that the religion itself is the problem. Right. I'm here to say that APU was problematic. APU was traumatic. And yeah. APU did things that they should have to pay for. <laughs> in yeah. one way or another. And they are, right? They're paying for it in endless uh, commentary <laughs> uh, about the, the oppression that they created. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're paying for a lot of reasons. Some of it's just, you know, poor decisions financially. Right, yeah. Um, but it's probably all tied t together. Yeah, I stayed at AP longer than I really wanted to because um, I was keeping the Asian club going and I wanted to help keep, keep helping with the Haven, um, students. So yeah, but you're right. It's, 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 it comes at great costs and, um, everyone should have the opportunity to flourish and to, 
to live in spaces that that value and cherish them and so yeah yeah yeah. and like listen i'm obviously speaking from a queer trans perspective specifically and in some ways i think that my experience is different because at least while i was at apu there was no illusion of safety um i think for a lot of bipoc folks at apu there was this sort of like wolf in sheep's clothing vibe of like you're safe you're welcome you have a space here only to find out that that was not true yeah and so you know i'm not trying to (laughs) I'm not trying to say that everybody who is or has been marginalized or oppressed by APU's values has the same experience. In a lot of ways, like right. there came a point when I was like, I'm just not going to mess with that. I'm just going to get my degree and leave. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for a lot of other people, they spent all the way up till the day they left trying to make it better. Yeah. And there was a moment where I was like, I'm not going to try to make it better. I'm just going to try to make it safer for my community. And, you know, like, honestly, one of the best days of my whole life was when we wore those white T-shirts that said, like, LGBT students or gay students or something welcome here. And we all sat together so that it looked like a sea of, like, white T-shirts. Yeah. Um. And I don't know, that sort of stuff felt so subversive and so important. Yeah. To take a public stand like that, you know, my shirt said, does everyone belong or something like that? Yeah. It was the question, it was the question side of, of that one. Maybe that was a different day. Um, I also think we did, there was the white t-shirts. The other thing we did, cause there was that rule about like no same sex handholding. No handholding. Yeah. 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 So, and that's just obviously ridiculous <laughs> for all the reasons. So there was a day when we like lined up on Cougar walk, yep. you know, like 60, yep. 60 people across the path with yeah. hands held. Yeah. Um, and they had campus safety come. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, APU campus safety is, like, the least threatening thing. But, you know, still, it was, like, these are our responses. Is Instead of listening to what you're saying, we're just going to, like, uh, essentially police you out of existence here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, t- like, to your point before about the administrative resp- administration's response to all of this. Um, I think they had to protect the the reputation of the school. Cause I think they sort of, there was like this implicit promise that there aren't queer kids. <laughs> there aren't issues. There aren't protests. Yeah. There aren't, you come to APU to, with the promise that you don't have these kinds of things that you might see at, you know, normal schools. And so, <laughs> you all made it really tough on them because they had to either pretend it doesn't exist or just try and squash it completely um, with whatever resources they have, be it campus safety or the board. Um, so, yeah, even though you got to a place where you just wanted to get through, I, I think you all made a difference. I think I've heard from other kids, students who saw the, the t-shirts or, or saw the hand holding 
and it kind of planted seeds of discontent for their for their worldview for their for their faith so just like the duct tape over the mouth when i was right? a freshman and that was early on that i want to say that was like in the first like month of school so yeah yeah we i mean i think there's something very powerful about public protest i just think when you're being actively oppressed it's also okay to just survive oh, totally. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's what like to, like i keep coming back to i was so inspired because if I, if you had asked me, if, if a queer student had come to me and said, what should I do? I think one of my responses would have been just put your head down and get your damn degree and get the hell out of here. Um, yep. But when they all decided to fight, then I was like, fuck it, then let's fight. Let's, you know, like it, it cost me, it cost all of you, it, you know, it, it uh, you know, cost you you more you know i was just an you know uh, an ally it, it didn't d- affect me directly as far as my my life and my family but yeah you know it took it took a whole community of people to stand up to the school and yeah it was what it was <laughs> uh here we are now like our lives here are we better. are now you know i l- like you you know once i left apu i never looked back i, I all my communities are loving caring affirming supportive communities and it's it just feels so if nothing else we have this contrast right like i have sunday mornings i don't go to church and to this day i haven't gone to church in like 12 years i still really enjoy my sundays even more because i know i used to go to church (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh are you kidding i think about that with chapel Oh God! I think yeah. about the amount of times that I went to chapel in my time at APU. And <laughs> it's a lot of hours. Yeah, it's like and days like, of your life. And the monitors, the people who would make sure that you were like paying attention or yeah, not sleeping. Awake. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what what are we doing how is this how is this the 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 way to be an evangelical school <laughs> also you knew it was bad when other schools had better chapel policies than apu like i want to say yeah. biola's policy is more friendly than apu's policy it was like you can watch makeup things and take a quiz <laughs> oh, and right. i'm like I'm like, I would love to have taken a quiz. I could yeah. guess which Bible verse Woody was going to talk about and just yeah. like breeze my way through these quizzes. But instead, yeah. I had to physically be there. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So that's hard. But that also, was. I started coming out in religious spaces. All Saints Pasadena was such yep. a life branch for me. Um in fact, I saw that documentary for the Bible tells me so in the basement mm-hmm. of All Saints, and that was the very first thing that gave that made me feel like, wait, there is such a thing as being queer and being Christian. And at the time, I needed both of those things to coexist within me, or yeah. else I would never have taken the steps. So, like, you have to have uh, safe spaces for wherever you are in whatever process. My argument is that you just don't need to be oppressing people to do it. Like you don't yeah. need to be actively oppressing people as you're like just sort of bread and butter. And honestly, I feel like that's APU's bread and butter is conformity. 
Oh yeah, uh, in, in evangelical culture at large too. It's 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 a it's a branch of that. So also, yeah. I never took a class from you. I I don't. I it, I struggle to think of when my first encounter with a professor <laughs> that I don't consider to be very conservative was. <laughs> Because at least at the time, I didn't know anybody and none of the professors felt safe to talk about that. You know, in hindsight, now I look back and I see that there were professors who are genuinely loving and accepting. But it was years before I I really, I think it might have been my junior year that I first took a class from a professor that was like, hey, (laughs) look at this thing. Isn't this, you know, hypocritical or isn't this wrong? And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, that is hypocritical. That is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it was know. just sort of luck of the draw. Uh, I, some some people have been on this podcast saying, "Yeah, all my professors were affirming and cool." <laughs> like, and then some people are like, "None of them were," and, and or everything in between. It's, it just yeah depended on the luck of the draw. Uh, I feel like what your Matt Howie, <laughs> Matt Howie yeah. was helpful for me. Um, Carrie Davis. I don't know whatever happened to either of them, but. They were both professors that like helped me change my worldview a little bit. Yeah, I think they're both gone. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> so yeah, like a lot of like a lot of people. Oh, well, I appreciate you being willing to go back through it, and I I hope you can still sleep tonight, and um, you weren't too traumatized by. No, um, I can, and like I said, I. I'm a firm believer in people being able to grow and change and do better. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about me, but I would be hard pressed to find someone who didn't genuinely change that I wouldn't at least entertain forgiving. You know, if like someone came back to me and was like, sin is now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a queer <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know whatever a safe yeah. queer person who is like affirming and yeah. not racist transphobic or homophobic <laughs> i mean as long as there was actions alongside that statement you know yeah. i would entertain forgiving that person but like i think the reason why i feel that way is because we do have to create space for people to get better or else there's no incentive to get better. <laughs> we have to for create sure. space for people to grow or else there's no incentive to grow. Right. If everyone's going to feel like they're always who they were, who their worst decisions were. <laughs> and I believe that many of the administrators at APU made some of the most damaging, destructive and terrible decisions. But if they one day became better people, <laughs> And I say that because I came to forgive a lot of people who hurt me and have close relationships with a lot of people who hurt me and probably need to be forgiven by some people who I wasn't ready to be empathetic. You know, like maybe that's where hindsight is so helpful and where I get really excited about the prospect of us getting to grow and become better people 
every day as opposed to just always being stuck with the worst versions of ourselves. Yeah. Wow, we should just end with that one. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Though anyway. I will say I haven't heard any rumors about Hansen becoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like a secret friend, but <laughs> you know. Uh, well, thanks, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for walking down memory lane. <laughs> I'm really in awe of Chris's willingness to forgive. Honestly, given how she was treated by Christians, I wouldn't blame her if she refused. But this is what uh, impressed my son, Owen. It's a power move to forgive. It's not weakness, it's power. It means however much people have harmed Chris, and they have, she is no longer held captive to those people. She can forgive or she can tell them to fuck off. If they aren't sorry and they haven't made amends, yeah, they can fuck off. But if they are sorry and they have made amends, she can forgive. It's her choice. And she makes this choice knowing that the possibility of forgiveness and redemption for everyone is the way forward in this world. It all needs to be earned, but it's definitely available. So thanks again to Chris for coming on. And um, we, we really dragged up some old shit that, <laughs> as she said, she's, she works hard to overcome and just not think about each day because to do so <laughs> would be to ruin your day. And yeah, she's doing amazing work with the Trevor Project living her life with her family and yeah she's winning APU not so much so thanks again for listening to Chapel Probation um, we'll have I think we got two more episodes in the can and a bunch of the after hours um, episodes with people reacting and sort of just joining the conversation around all of this um so yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode of Chapel Probation. We'll see you then. This episode was brought to you by All Saints Church in Pasadena, California, which I think has been brought up six or seven times in this podcast as a wonderful place, whether to stay in Christianity as an Episcopalian or as a lovely last stop in faith altogether.